Well, here it is, everybody, the first live edition of the Writer's Block Podcast, taped live. It's not actually happening right now. Of course, all the episodes are taped live. I mean, my guests and I are always alive when we tape them. But this one was in front of an audience at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Go Ducators! My guest is UNC graduate Louis Black. He's accustomed to working in front of an audience, of course, so that was nice. But it was still weird. I have to admit it, it threw me off a little bit. I, I felt, like, self-conscious. I don't get it. Me. Mr. Not Self-Conscious. Which, that is not, that's not true. But, we still got a great podcast out of it. Lewis tells us about how winning a Grammy basically just made him want a sandwich. He gives props to his favorite playwriting teacher, who it turns out had a habit of falling asleep during all of his students' plays. Lewis goes off on Twitter and admits he doesn't know what a hashtag does. We talk a little bit about his record-breaking 17-year run at The Daily Show and how his segment Back in Black evolved over that time. And we get to the bottom of how a guy like Louis Black puts himself in a proper state of mind to write for female characters. This one might surprise you. You know this is what you were looking for, people, and you found it. How? Because you're part of the writer's block now. Let's do this. On. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Don't don't be mad at us for not being for being ill prepared. For not being ill prepared? I don't know what it is. Hi everybody. Hi. Let's make sure we can hear Lou. Are Hello. we good? Hello. Does that work? Yeah. yeah, we're getting two thumbs up in the booth. <laughs> two thumbs up in the booth. Uh, I feel like we should just invite you guys up on stage. Yeah. Like seriously, like yeah. bring your chair up here. Or, or let's just go to a bar. Or Lou, does it, does it make much of a difference? Let's move down here, because yeah, I feel no, like, you know. Really... We can sit there. I mean, you can still see us right here, if it's fine, right? This is not a problem? Well, it's, like, it's really like listening to the radio anyway, yeah. so close your eyes. And, and you guys can sit, like, Indian style up here, too, because we're going to mostly be doing Wiggles tunes. So it'll just, it'll just be like a bunch of kids. Um, I, I, this, uh, I am, uh, my name is JR, and my guest here at the uh, University of uh, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, am I right about that? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you don't even know where you're located. <laughs> Look, dude, I'm at the fucking Sheraton, that's all I know. Uh, is a, uh, is a, an alumni, Lewis Black, everybody, Lewis Black. You know, it's interesting, let's just note that uh, uh, I'm at this festival every year, and when this festival started, um, this whole room would have been filled. Yeah. But now after 10 years, we're, it's, it's less and less show up each year. Right. And my goal is really to, the, eventually in another five years, I'll be talking to myself in an empty room. <laughs> <laughs> You're right on track. I'm going, I'm moving right in that direction. We're doing a stand-up show um, tomorrow night and Saturday night. Are you coming? Yeah. Everybody here's coming? Okay, all right. We'll try not to do all that stuff. <laughs> Break out into our bits. <laughs> Although I will be doing a bit that, uh, um, let, me, let me confess to something. Uh, Lewis and I have already done our podcast, um, but I screwed it up. 
because I have a microphone that I did not apparently know how to use very well. And I had it on the wrong setting. So when I listened to it at home, and we all, we had a great conversation. Yeah, it was good. It was I'm really sorry fun. sorry you missed it. Yeah. It was really fun, and I was eager to post it. I went home to listen to it and uh, um, didn't realize until then that I had apparently interviewed Lou while he was sitting in another room. <laughs> but it's a really beautiful microphone. It is nice. I mean, seriously. Yeah. It uh, really looks great. It does not work worth a shit. No, no, no. No, it works right when you set it Please. correctly. No, it's very, it's got that old school look at it. It's it's got the, the, yeah. it's, I call it JR's Imaginary Podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so do hundreds of listeners, <laughs> if not tens. <laughs> Top that, what the fuck. Luce Black, uh, you might not know this about him, two-time Grammy Award winner. Grammy Award winner. <laughs> Take that, Rihanna. <laughs> I don't know, she might have won. Has she won? She's probably won, like, a kid's choice at the very least. <laughs> she definitely is a kid's choice. Those were for um, stand-up CDs, no? Yeah. Yeah. Which is quite a feat. I mean, uh, comedy, is, is it, were you up against other comedy albums? Is that usually the case? Yeah. The first time I was up against, um, the one I thought was going to win was Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> I just, I thought because he's, he's done a ton of stuff and I don't think he Has got, he won a Grammy before? I, he may have won one uh, back, uh, way back. And I didn't, but I didn't really expect to win. And the weirdest thing was, is I was there by accident because I really wasn't going to go. And then I happened to be out in Los Angeles where they do it, and they do it in the afternoon. There are two parts of the Grammys. There's the night Grammy where the, it's actually, you know, glamorous. The real ones. And then there's the afternoon Grammy, which takes place in what is a, a glorified, uh, like, holiday inn, <laughs> one of those convention rooms where they, so instead of just having the small convention room, they move the doors to the back, and so it's yeah. really big. And random people coming yeah. through to get a mini muffin or something Exactly. Like that. It's like where people would have a prom. <laughs> and, uh, Shitty prom. And, and, they, uh, and they hand out 58 to 60 Grammys that afternoon, but it's like everything from, it goes, there are like three Grammys given out for uh, polkas. Really? Is it like the polka Grammy? No, but there, there's one for... There's best certain, polka album. Best polka album, best polka song, best, you know, polka band, um, best per, people who poked other people. Um, then there, That's but, at the Grammys? <laughs> yes, at the Grammys. There was the also, adult Grammys. <laughs> but there was also, I mean, you kind of sit there and I'm like, oh, wow, and there's gospel, okay, and that, I get that. And it, so I'm there and I'm like, I don't expect to win at all. I'm kind of looking around and... Uh, thinking there's, I can't remember, there's a couple of other people I thought would win. And they announced my name, and I, it didn't even register. Because I've never really won anything. Um, and so uh, I got up and, uh, and, and ran toward the front, and all I could think was, my, it was such a shock, to be honest, that my blood sugar dropped completely. And all I thought was, God, I want a sandwich. <laughs> on the way to getting a Grammy. On your way walking down the aisle. Yeah. Like. And then I thought, you know, this is kind of, you know, really, you know, this is, they've kind of put it in that realm of the, the, all of those people, you know, the, there's 58 of us. But what's amazing is, is that 
jazz is put now in the afternoon. And you, fuck you, you don't put jazz in the afternoon. Yeah. It's a major, I'm walking behind a guy named Chick Corea, who I don't know how many of you actually know, and he won that year. And Chick Corea, I happen to know his, a lot of his career. And Return to forever. Exactly, yeah. very good. And I'm standing there going, you know what I'm thinking? You know, this is, I'm, it's the reason I felt like this is really, uh, this is special, but I thought they really are fucking him over. Yeah, right, because right. They right. Should, well, there's got to be, you know, no matter where, where you split it, you got to split it off somewhere. Yeah. So there's a big fish in that pond. And it shouldn't be I, don't know, I don't know if it's Chick Corea or whoever, but they got to cut it off somewhere. And that cut off, that person's like, ah, oh, shit, really? Yeah. You know, they started doing that to us with the Emmys where we go there, because they do the same thing with the Emmys, where they split it up with the primetime and the technical Emmys. And so every other year, um, the, our writing category is in the is in the technical Emmys. So right? last year we won one, but I didn't I didn't go because we like didn't get Friday and Monday off to go. <laughs> so it's like what the fuck, and uh, uh, so it makes it like really hard to go. Yeah, exactly. And then you wait for your Emmy to get sent to you, and and some and you find out because a friend posts it themselves on Facebook. And you're like, oh, well, look at that. I like. I won an Emmy. <laughs> That's how you find out every once in a while. The thing that pisses me off most is that I lose out on a free trip to L.A. Well, it should. Yeah, yeah. Man. So, That's how uh, sad our lives are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. Like, I'm not spending my own $300. You have, uh, and that, you have 12 CDs or something like that. Something close to that. Something close to eight that. Eight to ten or something like that. All, all like hour-long things. All, all, all stand-up. All 50 minutes and more. That is a, that's a lot. It's a lot, of, um, it's a lot of writing. I wanted to talk to you about the difference between uh, um, writing, because you're trained as a, a playwright as well. Yeah. You're not trained as a stand-up, other than your own training. And I wasn't really trained as a playwright. Well, but you didn't, you had I went a, to school, but it was, yeah. um, but. You weren't happy with your education? I wasn't happy. I, most of my education came from people the who streets. acted. Yeah, the streets? Yeah, the hard knocks of, 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 do, of being backstage for a shitty production of Annie. Um, no, I, uh, I learned from actors and directors. Uh, that's who I really learned. From. Once you started writing plays? Yeah. The problem with, with playwriting is, I mean, I think there's some people now, who I, people my age, who now can teach it. But, uh, I mean, I had it. This is a, this is a great. I'm not, you, don't even, you don't know this story. This is, uh, Good. I was taught. Do by, any of you know it? <laughs> I was taught by uh, my first playwriting teacher. Was, uh, I was a sophomore here. And uh, I was probably, the, and I was I really, when I made my decision to, to go into playwriting, I, I knew that I could go to the, theater department and get it, not only graduate with a, a degree in theater, but with an emphasis in playwriting. And uh, I had this teacher, and everybody else, would, there was like seven grad students in me. And my teacher was 70 some odd years old, 75, 76, and his, uh, he was known in part as, a, he taught playwriting there, uh, and um, he writ was written apparently a master text on, uh, on technical theater. And his, very sweet guy named Sam Selden. And That's here, you're talking about? That was right here in one of those buildings. Right. And we would go in, and you'd read your play. And he would, three minutes into the play, 
would put his head down and go to sleep <laughs> and just pass out. And then it, uh, with about three minutes to go, he'd wake up and <laughs> then proceed to comment on the play. And he was right. And he actually is, of all the teachers I had, the most in terms of structural, structural, rather than just kind of critical, you know, stuff, really of how to structure a play. And I kept it every time. I mean, this was every time. He never stayed awake. I would read, I read my play, boom, he's out, three minutes, and then you kind of just watch, I would sit and just watch. And then he would get up and he'd comment, and I realized at the end of the year that um, what he did was he listened to the setup, and then he would um, wake up at the end and hear the ending. And everything that he said applied to every one of these plays because pretty much 95 to 98% of what's written by a first-time playwright are exactly the same mistakes. Everybody does the same errors, and they all did. It was all about the, everyone who writes, the first time they write a play, nine times out of 10, the main character is completely ineffectual. But the guy that you learned the most from was literally was sleeping asleep. on the job. <laughs> Let it be a lesson to you. Um, you're also on uh, the, the Twitter. Very, very rarely, but you I You do it more now than you do, used to it. The, I do like, it about once a week when I come up with something really funny. And then I usually wait about a week to think to think it, if it's really, really funny. Yeah, that's what, that's what Twitter's all about, really thinking about what you put on there. I know, but yeah, I do. Yeah, you want to think that through. That's what, but I do that's because what the I'm tea not, is for. Well, I don't really like the concept. I don't mind, I used it, I mean, I got on it in part because uh, there's... Promotion. That's all it is for me. Yeah. I mean, but every so often I see something and I make a comment. I mean, but once I made, one of the things that... But it's nice to mix those in. Every promotion that you give, you got to throw in a joke. But here's the problem. Give them, give them a little something, something. I give them a little something, but here's the real problem with it. I mean, 90, uh, I, the, the other thing that it does is within those promotions is, is that they get, uh, they get every one of the goddamn, you know, if there's an interview on a radio show, if there's a this or that, it's where I'm actually fucking yakking yeah. and saying more than 144 characters, that goes out. Right. So that they oh, you mean they get the link to that they thing? They get links. Yeah, right. Which I think is more important than hearing me go, you know, uh, I don't eat dairy because I'm a Jew. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Well, that would, would, depends on the hashtag. Yeah, exactly. yeah you gotta, And you I know, still don't know what a hashtag fuck means. <clears throat> I don't know. I, I'm you not know? either. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, that all of my hashtags are going to be hashtag fuck means from now on. <laughs> one word. <laughs> but I do no, that, that, but that's just the hashtag is just a rant. Why am I explaining <coughs> what the fuck is well, happening you, here? You can explain it's it. It's off the rails immediately. No, but you can explain it after because I don't know what it fucking means because well, I go I'm to gonna, the hashtag. I'm going I'm to run you through it. Okay. Yeah, but I'm going to, uh, no, later. Okay. I'm, I might fall asleep in the middle of it, yeah, but, but at the beginning and the end are going to well, be. Well, because I'll clear show you me. when I go to a hashtag that it's none of the things have to do with each other. They, 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 uh, not necessarily. I'll explain it to you later. It's like a fucking puzzle. <laughs> but one of, of the things that drove, the, the drove the, one of the first things that made me back a little away from Twitter was is that I, I sent out something after. Uh, it was not Columbine. It was after the shooting in Colorado. The other shoot. The the. the Aurora. The, the, at Aurora. And so uh, I just said, I'd heard the, the quote was, is there, 
with 300 million guns in the country. Um, and I kind of put, I said, there are 300 million guns in the country, and um, I don't have one, so that means someone has mine. And uh, literally within two seconds, fuck you and your fucking anti-gun stance, <laughs> you fucking son of a God, bitch. God, wow. And, I, and then I kind of went, you know, well, no, I said, I'm just, all I was trying to do was get a quiet discussion started. And, it, and the, the level of anger that came back for me just kind of being reasonable about it. Because, I mean, I can go off on what I really think about guns yeah, yeah. and whether people should have them. I mean, my basic feeling is, is you get, if you're a guy, you get a, you get a gun for every penis you have. All right. So if you want to have an operation to get nine more penises, you can get nine more guns. And uh, that's my real feeling. I'm not going to put that like, out. But, but, then, but then I have to ask you, like a penis, do you then, in, if that's the case, have an almost endless amount of bullets then? Yeah, exactly. You, no, nothing it. at all? Talking about <laughs> sperm? Nobody got that? Because I'm not saying it was like the cleanest, uh, it was a little bit crude, but it's a pretty good sperm joke as those go. <laughs> really snuck it in there. We'll at, work on at, that later. At, at the Lewis Black. Uh, for, for more of that. Oh, and, yeah. I, and I look back and there were a couple that I really liked. On that. This, was, this was what Lewis tweeted on, uh, um, on November 6th. It's just that. I, I, uh, go vote. Yeah. With, but <laughs> there's an exclamation that you had on there. So it's a little, I think you wouldn't, it, I see you putting a little more into that. It was, it was fuck you, go vote. Yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit, yeah. That, that is, the implication is that somebody's sitting on their ass and not doing it. <laughs> yeah. And then there was also, I look back a little ways, and there was a, that you had one, you had a tweet that said that there was a link to you reading Goodnight Moon. Yeah. And which, it's one of the great performances. And I wanted, to, I wanted to play that, I wanted to play that for my three-year-old <laughs> for the sole purpose of freaking him out. <laughs> um, but the link didn't pan out. I couldn't, I couldn't open it. Those sons of uh, Yeah, it like went to some website where like I couldn't even find it on there. But I, I, you should know whenever I work with people like JR's mic doesn't work, this prick's mic didn't work. Well, I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing that this one's going to get out there either. We, <laughs> we'll work it out. But in the event it does, I printed out Goodnight Moon. And, uh, um, and, and I would like you to read it oh, with yeah, all the enthusiasm of, uh, of uh, Lewis Black. You, you're familiar with this work. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you uh, uh, Lewis Black uh, reading, uh, oh, geez, what's her name? Who wrote it? Thank you. Wow. Margaret, Margaret, Wise, Margaret, Wise, Margaret Wise Brown's Good Night Moon. Good Night Moon. And I will preface it, but it's not going to be as well done as I did when I had the book with the pictures, which is really what inspired me. In the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon and a picture of the cow jumping over the moon. And there were three little bears sitting on chairs and two little kittens and a pair of mittens and a little toy house and a young mouse. Oh and a comb, and a brush, and a bowl full of mush, and a quiet old lady who was whispering, 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 hush. 
Good night, room. Good night, cow jumping over the moon. Good night, light in the red balloon. Good night, bears. Good night, chairs. Good night, kittens. And good night, mittens. Good night, clocks. And good night, socks. Good night, little house. And good night, mouse. Good night, comb. And good night, brush. Good night, nobody. Good night, mush. And good night to the old lady whispering, hush. Good night, stars. Good night, air. Good night, noises everywhere. Margaret would be proud. <laughs> yeah. The other version is I... the difference between that and the other version. The other version sounds literally as if I've been put into a crypt, and it's my last words. Why, uh, how, why is that? Just, I, I was so shocked at the fucking shit I was reading. <laughs> Because I didn't have that as a child. So it wasn't like I had any, you know, attachment to the fucking moon or the fucking comb. I think really it's just meant to teach three-year-olds a couple of different words. Yeah. Well, I kind of realized that the next day. Yeah, <laughs> I was already so damned angry about it. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, uh, uh, your involvement at The Daily Show. L Lewis um, has been with The Daily Show, like myself, since the very beginning. And in fact, um, I told you on our original podcast that nobody will ever hear, and, uh, and again today, that uh, um, when I got my job, I submitted. And within my submission was a, an idea that was very similar to Back in Black and involved Lewis. So I actually pitched Lewis, so I, and we discussed this before, yeah you sort of, I'm not going to push this or anything, but you kind of owe me, your, I got your, your career. <laughs> uh, you probably would have gotten some stuff done outside of that. And I'm not asking for like 10%. <laughs> but Lewis was in there, and, and you've been uh, with the show the entire time pretty consistently, too. I mean, I, I don't think there's been a very long stretch without you doing a piece. It's kind of amazing, and it's a testament to your real and honest viewpoint and, and the, the way that you deliver it. I think it's, uh, it's, it's done very well. Well, it, you know, it, thank you. It, you know, it, it has evolved. When I, when, we, when I first did it, we were working with Greg Kilborn, uh, a titan in the industry. And, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, just, nobody even knows what you're talking about. Yeah, you don't know Greg Kilborn. You don't know him, do you? But initially, I just would go in, and uh, they had no audience, and I would sit, and I had no uh, notes, and I had maybe a couple of notes, but no written text, and I would just uh, go through. I would have certain things that were kind of material, but I would kind of make it work for the show, and I would just uh, do it, and I'd do it once, and then... Um, Hank Gallo, who was one of the producers, and Liz would come over and say, Winstead, and she's the executive producer, and they'd say, keep this, drop that, do this. And then I'd do it again, and then we'd do it like three or four times, and it was in the can. And then after On camera, and that's like, yeah. because we didn't have an audience at first. Yeah, it was just totally on camera without the audience. When we got in an audience, I started writing it out and handing it in, and then we would work on it a bit. And that went on for a while, and then I went to them, and this is when JR and I really started to, to work together. I went in, and there's a lesson here about networking. Um, I'm not a good networker. Why? Because I'm not a good people person. Um, and I also don't believe in networking. I think that uh, 
doing your work is important, and networking is a quality of horseshit for that. But, um, I do. I think a necessary quality sometimes. Well, it's like not necessary, but certainly. But it's hurt. a lot of oh, 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 okay, <laughs> that I find offensive. Well, the, you know, it depends on which end of that you're on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, now, well, now that you're in the, the other end of it, it must be great. But the, um, you, you know, the you know the end you're at. So, uh, 17 years, they're coming to you constantly. Mm -hmm. Oh, Jr., can I get on the show? And you go, okay, oh, 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 oh. and then, oh. Uh, no, didn't work. Yeah, wow, I just, sorry, <laughs> I, did, I, I forgot there were no openings. Yeah, people are, people are lining up to blow me for a chance to get on The Daily Show. Well, you know, you could use that power. Um, I'm just saying. I'm gonna I'll give it a shot. You know, but I, but I got, I, I, this is how I networked my, I, I went to, I got very drunk at a Christmas party and I said, you know, uh, first off I said, okay, I'll go to the party and I'll, a, a daily show Christmas a party. A daily show Christmas party. I got drunk, and then I approached two or three of the, the powers that be and said, you know, in, in my slurringness, this, what I really like to do is, and what I really wanted to do was at the end of every week, um, what I wanted to do was take all of the world news and do a three-minute bit and take, go through all the stories, the major ones of the week, and, and joke, joke, joke. But their idea was is what they had at that time, which is now on YouTube, we had the concession of all of the, all of the, the fucked up videos you could imagine. Nobody was showing them. There was very little interest, you know. A squirrel on a, a, a skiing squirrel. Um, the pig races in Oregon. Uh, the guys that chase the cheese wheel down in England? Yeah, the whole thing, you know, people throwing tomatoes. There's a big tomato spectacle that takes place Spain. in Spain where they just come out in the streets and fire tomatoes at each other. So what they did was, is instead of getting that, what they did was dump all of that on us. So J.R., myself, and Hank Gallo went into a room and watched these things. Yeah, right, right. And we would watch all of these things. And J.R. is great at writing lines. And I'm not, as, I'm, I'm better with the through line than coming up with the basics of it. It's, it's why my Twitter is as weak as it is, but I, I would write. <laughs> I'll punch so, it up for you. Please, if you would. Your ghost Twitter writer. <laughs> so I would, so these guys would sit and throw stuff out and I would write it all down. And then I would take what they wrote down, what they gave me and go off. And then I would write the thing uh, with their kind of jokes and create a through line for it. Then I'd hand it to Hank. Gallo, who's really a great editor, one of the great editors, uh, he edited the first two books I wrote. And then Hank would take it and redo it. Then we'd go back in, then we'd all sit around, and these guys would take it again and go, do this, that, 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 that. And then we'd hand it in, and that was the way it rolled for a while. And it rolled that way for quite a while. And uh, it, uh, um, it ultimately became where we wouldn't just use you every week. It would be when we found a two or three stories that fit into something that we wanted to do, then we'd say, oh, that would make a good Lewis, and then we'd write that yeah, up as a Lewis. Yeah. And uh, the last one happened to be a gun rights yeah. thing, a gun, gun issue thing. And I just listened to it again today, and uh, the, um, the opening line was, well, I was, I was, it, was it was funny. <laughs> uh, it's, that was, it's awkward because it was mine. Well, read it. It was the, it's weird, always weird doing you, but I'll do my impression of you because this is what we do, yeah, and I ran yeah, this by you, you before. When we, write for, when we write for Lewis, 
we find ourselves doing really lousy impressions of Lewis, not frequently in front of him. We usually tone it down. <laughs> but when he's not there and we're writing the stuff up, we're always delivering it as if we're him. And none of us are particularly good at it. So like I would have written this line and, and said it to the person I was writing with, you know, the gun debate has been raging for a long time. It's hard to say when it started, but I'm going to go with right around the invention of the gun. <laughs> it was good. I've been doing it a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just as an example of how we put these things uh, um, uh, together is that uh, there, there, it, it began with a bunch of, there were just so many different celebrity stories along the gun issue when people celebrities were coming out to like talk about their opposition to it and stuff and so we decided we were going to do something about that and then the celebrities just started kind of like going off we didn't didn't use all the celebrity stuff except the action heroes yeah because we had like bruce willis was against gun control sylvester stallone is for gun control but this was as he was out promoting his movie called bullet to the head yeah. And one of the last lines in the piece was you saying that he's out doing his movie, Bullets to the Head. It's like rhinestone, but with bullets to the head. <laughs> Which was a funny line. Hey, y'all, little surprise visit from your host. Don't be alarmed, we're not done yet. And this is not a plug, I promise. That comes later. I'm just smoothing over an uncharacteristically rough transition. This is where Lewis and I start talking about stand-up comedy how he goes about writing it, changing it, and delivering it. We also talk about playwriting, which is a very different style, of course, and Lewis explains his unique approach to writing for female characters. So stick around, there's more good stuff. You started your career as a stand-up, for the most part. I mean... You mean after yeah. playwriting? Yeah, yeah. You well, when I started, you started making money. When I started, exactly, yeah. And uh, you write all your own material. About 97% of it. 97% yeah. of it. Oh, you work with somebody on the road who helps you with certain... Yeah, but John Bowman, my op opening act, will help me with through line and this. Or basically, he's the, he watches out and he goes, you know, that used to be funny and now you've made it, you know, what was a, a minute 30 second bit, you've now go on for five minutes and it's not fucking funny anymore. Right? <laughs> it's too preachy. You yeah, know, you yeah, bring it back yeah down. so let's cut it. Yeah. You know, so that, that really is big, big help. Right, yeah, But yeah. most of the stuff I write, and most of it I write while on stage. Right. Well, that's interesting. I mean, and, and you, you have an obvious persona on stage. Yeah. So when you sit down to write a bit or to work on a bit or to think about it through. I just think you, about it. I never you, write it down. So do you put yourself in a state or do you get in that state as you're doing it? Do you know what Usually I mean? Usually I get in this, somewhat in the state. Mostly I think. Like if you don't, if you're reading it and you don't get worked, if you don't get your dander up, are you thinking like this isn't for me? No, I usually think it out, and then if I think it out, and it logically um, leads to the, uh, to the anger, or at least explains why I'm standing there bellowing like a lunatic, yeah, right. then I, I keep it. <laughs> so, it's, so now it's like I have, I have a big thing about old white men at this point, which I, I talked about earlier today. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, I'm, so basically I kind of go through this thing where it's like... Uh, and every, like, three or four days I come up with something else that I go, oh, and then I, I write a note down that will, will key me into, uh, you know, 
what to, to talk about. In terms just like on a little card or something? Not or? even a card. It, it, it got a it's desk. Envelope it's just stuff all over the place. Yeah, it's just like, you know, it's just chaos. You know, I, I write it down and I put it there and then, like, I, then I stumble on it and go, ooh, I'm a genius. <laughs> like five days ooh, later. Who wrote that? I go, wow. Boy, I wish I'd, I thought it's about It's like that. the tooth fairy or something yeah, just no, brought you a joke. But I do. I kind of write it on these scraps of paper and leave it on my desk. And, uh, uh, it's, and it's really a matter of just um, collecting these things, and then eventually I have something. But it's like the, the, you know, it's just. But you never write down the whole act. No. Yeah. You said you used to do that at the beginning. I wrote it in, in the very beginning. I, the, once I, I'd done it for a long time without doing it, and then I wrote it all out. Because I thought maybe that was the reason I was, because I was still very nervous on stage and not successful when I wrote everything. I wrote my entire act out and then it really was, it plummeted. I, I, was, I was horrific because I kept trying to, I kept, I, I tried to memorize it. I was trying to memorize my fucking act. <laughs> and it was, and it was stupid and they were all stories. Uh -huh. So I'm like, there's stories I know. Right. The audience doesn't know these fucking stories. I'm like trying to make, now I'm trying to, I don't need, if I can't remember the fucking story that I told yesterday, again, the next day, I shouldn't be doing this anyway. And I went back to just trusting myself. And, and that's the to way To tell it's the story been, in to, a funny way because you know it's a funny story. Yeah, and, I, and, and then as I do it every day, I pretty much remembered 98% of the time what I said the day before. When I'm, you go out and do it that often, then you can do that. Yeah, when I mean, you work four to five times a week. Well, also I think we, I was talking to you about how with your style, if you're on stage and you mess something up, it's almost as funny as not messing it up. Yeah. And that's a kind of a nice little out. It helps. Yeah. You know. But that's different when we, you, you, I was listening to, the, the, to, to our failed podcast. Yeah. I was listening to that one and uh, you were talking about having met George Carlin and talking to him about the fact that and a guy like that, he, perhaps not surprisingly, writes down every single word. He wrote everything down. Everything, absolutely everything. And you know, you watch his stuff and you, you realize that you can't just kind of wing what he does. There's so much wordplay. And Seinfeld, you were saying, same kind of way. Yeah, yeah Seinfeld is really, it, it, Seinfeld is, I mean, George is more poetic than Seinfeld. And so, but Seinfeld yeah, has, right. has a precision and also, I mean, he, he worries about every single word. Yeah, I, I heard him once talking about yeah. the, like literally changing a one word back and forth a bunch of times yeah. that, that wasn't even a big word within the within Yeah, the and I don't understand that. I mean, I, to me, it's, if I find the, because to me, it's the thought, not the word. To me, it's the, the thought that expresses it. Yeah, see, so that's interesting. Can, it's, it's so different to me, and I can, you know, understand where someone like Carlin is coming from, and the idea of, like, I tinker with mind stuff constantly, and I remember the first time I saw, when I didn't know what comedy was, and the first time I saw a comic do his act the second time, oh, I was fucking livid. <laughs> like, what the, I got cheated. What the hell is that? You know, but you have to just put that aside and do your thing because it's, uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah, but you come out on stage and you say it as if it's the first time you're saying it. And the reason you say it the first time you're saying it because 90% of people in the audience, or 98% are hearing it for the first time. The other thing is, is that uh, you, uh, you know, that, um, e but the weird thing is, is in, under that is, is that people will actually yell for me to do bits. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And uh, I mean, bits that are like, you know, like, you know, moo cow fuck milk, which is a bit about milk. 
and they'll yell that out. And I'm like, you know, and I, I gloss over it, and I, I won't, I just go right by it and keep doing my act, because A, you know, it, it, I always feel like I would like the person who remembers the bit to come down and do the bit, because I don't fucking remember the bit. <laughs> I'm on yeah, you haven't bit. been doing it. I haven't been doing it, and I'm, on, I'm, I'm trying like to work out this, this, this stuff. I actually wrote, here's like something. That, now, this is one of the, this is a line I wrote down the other day, and I don't know what to do with it, but I like the line. Uh, let's, let's turn it the, into something right now. Really, watch us work. Watch, yeah, oh yeah, let's watch Here we go. staggering. It comes a magic, and we'll do it. You can the, do it tomorrow or the reason many The reason many revolutions don't work is because you discover that the people that you are revolting with are as revolting as the people you're revolting against. It's a good line. I don't know what you fucking do with that line. Well, I mean, you have to be talking about some revolution. Yeah. and, they're, and Are there any going on? You've got to find one. There's not, you know, really Syria. There you go. I don't Ooh, know that it even has to be. There's the end of that joke. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Serious. Syria is a great comedy topic. Yeah, really. I mean, it's like the, the, the revolutions that are occurring here, they're so minimal. It kind of reminds me of, um, of Occupy Wall Street, which you could consider a bit of a revolution. Right. When they, they got uh, this big injection of money from somebody, like $35,000 or something, for with, you know, when you're sleeping in a tent, is the, you know, wow, yeah. we, can, you know, we can get some more stuff here. And what happens is they all went at each other's throats. The bongo players, no shit, wanted new bongos. <laughs> and the people who were serving pizza at everybody said, no, we need to use that money for the pizza, but we need our new bongos for the drum circle. And so they started, so now they went off in these different factions yeah. and they found out that the people are revolting. Yeah. Well, the, the thing, part of it came about, I mean, I, that idea came about because uh, one of the great things that stops, uh, that, that drives me crazy is that I'll, I'll watch somebody that I agree with, you know, that I agree with their, the basic, let's say it's about guns or immigration or something. And I'll watch them, they start to talk. And then about two thirds of the way through their talking, I'm going, uh, shut the fuck up. Just shut up. Just shut the fuck up now. You, you fucking. <laughs> And what happens is, as I listen to them, I'm almost driven to the other side just because I don't like this person. Yeah, right. That I kind of go, fuck you. And then you go to the other side and you listen to them and you go, oh, fuck, now I got to go back with that schlep. Yeah, right. Who, you know, I mean, it's that whole thing of spinning stuff. It's like. Um, so, then, you, so then you decide, I'm going to start my own thing. And then pretty soon you realize you're an asshole. Oh, yeah, I know. That's why I stuck with comedy. Yeah. Because I knew I was an asshole. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but you only had to be an asshole to yourself. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. then to whoever showed up. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't know that you're yelling at them. You're yelling for them. Yeah, that's, I hope so. You're yelling with them. Do you find that, uh, um, you know, like you, you write the books, you're still doing the, you're still writing plays, mm -hmm. uh, you write your comedy material, and these are all very different styles of writing. Yeah. I suppose at this point you're pretty good at switching between one and the other, but was that a challenge? What kind of challenge was that? At first it that? was a challenge because it was uh, writing, doing stand-up is such a, uh, you're out in front of people, you know? And you want laughs a lot, a lot of times. I mean, yeah. your style is a little different where you, you can, especially at this point, yeah. you have a little more freedom to talk for a while without a laugh, but yeah. not a lot of people have that freedom. Yeah, 
and I and, and I don't really like to, but I mean, I, at least I have that freedom to do it. But but the the problem is, so it's a more extroverted gig, and when you write a book or in a play, even worse, in a sense, but both are very close. Is when you write a play, it's introverted. You just they are inside your own fucking skull. That must eating, be a nice place. Oh boy, just eating away at yourself. And once I but you're I, also writing for other characters. Right, but not but like I can't. I do. I have. I have, with all due respect, a hard time understanding how you write for women. Um, I usually put on a little frock. Yeah. <laughs> something frilly, and then I play. Uh, I'm so pretty, um, and uh, I just start to type. Uh, I I don't find it difficult to. I mean, had, I, was was there a time when you when you when you had people critique? your female characters, or what they like, were I, I just, well, the play that I wrote is uh, four of the seven characters. The play that's been done recently is four of the seven characters are women. Uh -huh. And the thing that I find shocking is that they, you know, people don't like to play, but most of the people who come up to me say, I, you know, I came from a, a family with three sisters in it, and you nailed it. Oh, yeah. And, and in part, I nailed it because I knew this family, and I just kind of took the... It's not tough. You take their character. You, know? <laughs> you just steal it from just people. Just steal it from people. You know, I took one. One is a composite, and the other two were, were the girls. And I just kind of, but, you know, and then I just fictionalized it, really. It, it took it in its own direction. And it's interesting. I was reading a little bit of a book by Jim Gaffigan uh, that he wrote called Dad is Fat. And, uh, um, and it's, a very, it's a very funny book. And Jim is another guy who has, do you guys know Jim Gaffigan? So he's got a very strong character as well, yeah. and, a, and a very specific delivery. So reading the book was weird. It's like sometimes he would, it would go into like a, the stand-up kind of case. He starts with a thing. The, the intro is, is him doing that character. Yeah. But then he just goes on to tell these stories. But every once in a while, I can see him kind of slipping into that. Yeah. And I can see him writing stand-up jokes within the, within the, within right. the text. Yeah. And it's funny. But it's it's out of place, and it just gives you it's an example of how very different the the, the styles of writing really are. Different. Um, well, I kind of deal with it differently. As if when I'm writing a book, I'm kind of talking to one person, so I kind of start from that as opposed to I'm like in a, talking to a bunch of people. And I've gotten used to writing. I mean, after the, by the third book, I I felt comfortable sitting down and writing. Right. You know, but you still feel like um, you write something serious and you still feel like boy this is people are just gonna you know fucking they're gonna go what is really Lewis? This is, yeah who's this guy the fucking yeah well asshole. that's another thing you don't get to really escape from the character that you are yeah. to an extent but i but i but so when they bitch about something in the book i go you know in part i wrote the book to show the fact that i'm not just this this is there's more than that to, yeah to, you don't have to like it yeah. Go the, fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. That's a good approach. But it's true. You should do radio. <laughs> um, anybody have any questions at all? Hey, I'm back again. And we're still not done yet. Obviously, this is where we went into the crowd for questions. There were some great ones, but the crowd wasn't mic'd. That would have been far too professional. So I'm here to tell you that Lewis was asked, where did he first perform comedy? which led to a humble Lewis Black reflecting on his inauspicious beginnings in stand-up comedy. Here it is. I was at Cat's Cradle. At a 
just opened. I actually have the second time I performed on tape, and I listened, I've listened to it twice for eight seconds. Oh, yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. Well, this was... Uh, my, I, I, kept, I, I kind of fumbled my way through stuff. And it was stories that I told a thousand times. I mean, it, it was mostly about my sex life at Chapel Hill. Because really fucking funny stuff happened. And I had my dog with me, and he was on stage and uh, walking around the, the thing. And, uh, and in the, the last desperate effort, because I was going nowhere, I was like eight minutes, 10 minutes, and I'm dying. I grabbed the dog, and I could get my dog to sit on, like this. He was a Cocker Spaniel. I could get him to literally sit this way with his paws up, you know, like. Facing you or? This way. Okay. Looking literally like I'm a ventriloquist. And I said, many of you, many, I've said many times people say, how does a dog masturbate? And so I took his little paws and I played with his dick and, and then put him, the place exploded. It's the funniest fucking thing I did that night. I, I, mast, I masturbated, masturbated my dog in public. And, uh, but it, it, it didn't, you know, it didn't, you know, and I thought, you know, if I can get one laugh, I'll come, and I came back the next week. Because I thought maybe I could teach him another trick. <laughs> well, that's a good story. The bad news is I'm going to have to think of a new closing bit for tomorrow night. <laughs> and I have a great Dane, so it really, <laughs> it's really a big finish, my friend. <laughs> and it's expensive that you had to bring him here on the plane. <laughs> I, drew, I did. I did. I, put, I actually got on a plane recently and... Again, Anna, you know, you're not, you're not really looking around too much. I get up and I, I, we just, um, I look on down the aisle. I'm going to walk down and I look over and in a window seat, I don't know how the dog got the window seat, full-size dog, just full-size dog sitting in the seat, just like this. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the fuck? Does everybody else, am I alone here? <coughs> and uh, um, you knew it had to be a service dog, right? Yeah. But, but at first you just see a giant <laughs> dog sitting in the window seat just like looking at you like, it was sort of like I felt like Shatner, and that was the gremlin on this wing. I'm like, holy shit, please tell me you see this dog. But it was so weird to see a big dog sitting in the seat there, you know. I mean, let alone when there's a little dog underneath the seat, and they kind of surprise you. Oh, man. Yeah. But I will tell you the, 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 other, the, the other thing about uh, the second time I went back there, which is the tape, was, uh, you know, there's a... The first minute. Same spot. And this is an open mic kind of situation? Well, no. This was a band playing. It was like, and these were my friends. And oh, okay. So of, they let you go on before they performed. No, they performed. Then they brought me on as kind of, uh, you know. To clear it, the place out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the second time I went after, I literally, there's a, the first minute of stand-up I did was, uh, I said, um, in the first minute I said six words. Um... Oh, it literally a deep You didn't breath. mean to do this. Well, I, it was all I could do. I mean, I was literally six minutes, I mean, one minute, six words. Like 10 seconds between each word. What you see, maybe, I mean, it's really incoherent. It's, you have the tape. Oh, I have the tape, and I can't. Can I have it? No. <laughs> no. Mm -mm. What were you getting to? I was did you eventually begin to speak? Yeah, I did. I said, well, okay, here, here it is. I, that, that was probably, it took me a minute to calm down. I mean, it was unbelievable that people just didn't, you know. That's why you do it in front of friends. 
Yeah. In a comedy club, they just would have eaten. They actually would have charged the stage and eaten me. Yeah. Alive. Just to good. stop the shit coming out of my mouth. And how, how long did it take you to get over that and become a, a, a semi-decent comedian? I mean, I know, about 15 years. <laughs> but I was doing it on and off. That really is. Uh, but I was doing it on and off. I wasn't doing it And you also were not necessarily, the, the, you didn't have this same persona necessarily, right? No, I didn't game. have any persona. Right. Just I kept trying stuff. Right. Once I found my voice, it was great. And the other big thing for me was is I started wearing suits. When I found my voice, yeah, initially, that was what I did. And the reason I wore a suit was if I felt like if I dressed better than anybody in my audience, that as nuts as I became, which is what I was on stage, it was crazy, they would still go, Gee, it's a nice suit. <laughs> wow. He's so, not, I mean, at he's, least he's, I'm he's, pretty he's, sure he's not homeless. He, yeah, as crazy as he is, you know, I mean, he, he knows how to tie a tie. It had a tendency <laughs> to, it really had a tendency to calm the audience But down. you never tie your tie. It's always way down here and off to the side. No, but when I did stand up, I was, I oh, tied okay. it. Um, and you feel like the suit was a big part of it. But I think it's also a matter of uh, authority and sort of like, uh, yeah. you know, maybe they feel like, well, we better listen to the principal. He's yeah. talking right now, that kind of thing. Yeah. But it was looking nice than they thought I was nice. And they learned differently. Yeah. Well, uh, Lou, it's always nice to talk to you. It's a pleasure. I'm glad we had to come, uh, you know, 400 miles to have a conversation. Uh, yeah, well, we didn't have to. <laughs> I, I appreciate your being here, and uh, um, I will see you tomorrow. Yeah. We have a few things going on. Mm -hmm. uh, what else do you have going on here tomorrow afternoon? Nothing. Anything in particular? Just my dance to spring. Just the, yeah, it's okay. I'm going to put on something frilly yeah, and, to, so they, <laughs> and, and, and write some female characters. Yeah. yeah. But we really thank you for coming out and listening to our nonsense. That's yeah, yeah. it's uh, uh, good to have you. Uh, thanks for being on the Writer's Block, Lewis, and uh, uh, say goodnight. Good night. Now we're going to do long-form improv. <laughs> There you have it, episode 13. Hope you liked it. Taped in front of a live audience, just like Cheers was. Next week, what a treat. My guest is Megan Gans, a writer from Modern Family, which is one of the best sitcoms on television. She got her start writing for Community, another unique and excellent show. It was so much fun talking to Megan. She's very open about her process, her start, and how she feels about writing. It was like an ultra-productive therapy session. Definitely worth a listen, so check it out next Monday. Thanks for visiting the Writer's Block, and yes, I'm talking to you. Bye-bye. Thank you.